Welcome to the show. I'm Greg McEwen, and I'm your host for the What's Essential podcast. There are lots of shows on how to improve, on how to become successful, but there is only one on what to do once you are. This is essential because success can be a catalyst for failure, especially if it leads to the undisciplined pursuit of more. This show is about how to become successful at success. It's for high performers who are on the edge of exhaustion, solving problems completely before they even arise. It's about turning tedious tasks into joyful rituals. It's about simplifying your processes and making your most essential activities the easiest ones. So if you're a driven, hardworking, productive person who is running out of space but still wants to make a higher contribution effortlessly, the What's Essential podcast is designed especially for you. So let's begin. Scott O'Neill, welcome to the What's Essential podcast. Greg, it's wonderful to be here. I'm a huge fan of your work. Essentialism, that book, is a key piece of how we train and teach and develop at Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment, where I work. And we talk about it in my family as well. Uh, the concept of JOMO is something that I really struggle with. But when I'm, when I'm exercising essentialism, I'm happier, I'm more grounded, and I'm living a better life. So thank you for all you're doing. Well, it's such a, a pleasure to have you and so nice to hear you, you say all of that. You, you yourself in your new book, Be Where Your Feet Are, uh, share perhaps a surprising approach Uh, one that maybe we wouldn't expect coming from the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers. You're making this case when we're moving at 115 miles per hour, we rarely see the war coming. But you write that it comes to all of us. And when it does, we grasp for lessons, for meaning, for purpose. And I wonder if you could just start us off by giving the story behind the story. Sure. Well, um, the immediate story is, as to how we got to here is I met one of my best friends in the world at Harvard Business School. His name is Wilfred Carden. And um, 20 years later, I got a call in the middle of the night and he had taken his own life. A wonderful, bright light, bear hug of a man who had an incredible presence and a light in his eyes and a wonderful family with five beautiful children and a wife, Nicole, who was amazing. And he suffered from depression. And while I was speaking at his funeral, I'm looking out into the audience and I kept having that notion of he will never be able to share a lesson he's learned. He will never be able to impact or influence these incredible young kids. And I started to spiral at that point into what what I guess is grief, but uh, struggling to get up in the morning and struggling to get to bed at night and bursting into tears in the middle of a meeting and walking out. I mean, it was, it was a very tough time in my life. And, and what I started to do was write to heal. And what I kept writing was lessons I learned. And as I opened up to friends of mine, I found the same thing. I found that, you know, that the world is messy. And when you're young and you think that life and success and family and everything that you have, this vision of what life looks like when you're quote unquote successful in your faith, in your work, in your family, it's just not as linear as you thought it would be. 
let's start with that for a second. What does it mean that life isn't as linear as you expect it will be? I just had this vision when I was 22 that everything would be smooth and easy. You know, I was relatively smart. I was very hardworking. I had a vision for what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. And I thought it was going to be a, a nice little smooth elevator ride to the top. And instead, it looked a lot more like a roller coaster. And I had some issues and challenges. And I was president of Madison Square Garden and got fired. I started a company in the dot-com boom days, and it evaporated to nothing. You know, I've, I've been out of work, out of luck, and out of money a couple of times. I, you know, I've had my own struggles as a dad and a husband trying to figure out who I want to be and where I want to be. But, but the one commonality was that's where all the learning was taking place. Like the analogy of get to the top of the mountain misses the, the fun part where all the learning is, and that's the journey along the way. And I, I think that today, you know, we are in a 15 seconds of fame world and, and the life that you see on TikTok, if you're my teenage daughter, or on Instagram, if you're my wife, or on Facebook, as you're, if you're as old as I am, or LinkedIn, as I see my colleagues, life looks pretty good. You know, we got fancy vacations, kids getting into great schools, the wonderful success on the field or court or ice. Um, and that's wonderful. And I love seeing those uh, with my friends and those I love. But if you, if you peel the onion back a little bit, one layer or two layers or three layers, and you ask and see some vulnerability, you, you get to learn that, that life isn't that porcelain little China doll and that it's a little messy. And, and I'm okay with messy and I want, I want everyone to be okay with messy and because that's where all the lessons and learnings take place. And so that's what this book is really about. And that's how I, I've found it so surprising for me in life. Because when you're standing on top of that mountain, a few things are for sure. One is, it's pretty lonely. Two is, I'm looking for the next mountain to climb. And three is, I had a lot more fun coming up than I do standing on top. One of the things that I really relate to in what you just said is the messiness of life. Uh, there's a sense sometimes, especially with essentialism, in fact, where I have noticed that people sometimes will get into it and they'll say, they'll try to be perfectionists in their essentialism. So they'll try and do everything through an essentialist lens lends perfectly right now, which actually isn't essentialism at all, but it's like the old ways die hard. And I mean, this is one of the reasons that I even wrote this new book, Effortless, is because I feel like there's a different way to go about what's essential. And part of it is the messiness. Part of it is, is it to embrace the imperfection of the journey. And that that's even necessary, that the messiness is part of progress. If you want to be a perfectionist, fine, but you will not be as happy and you will not make as much progress. And I feel a similar theme in what you're trying to communicate right now and in the new book. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to see messy or what we call the NCAA tournament, you come to our house around breakfast time when the girls are getting ready for school. I mean, that is survive and advance time in our house. And, um, and I, I look, I would love everybody to be um, getting ready for school on their own and neatly tucked into the table. And we could say grace and have a wonderful blessing on the food and serve some nice pancakes that I'd take to flip. It does not look like that in our house. I mean, it is chaos. And that's okay, you know? Um, 
And I, but I do want to make sure that we are spending the time we can, because that's not the time for meaningful conversation in our house, but we have to carve out time because time flies by and they have school and sports and boyfriends and homework. And and I have work and games and activity and action. And we have to make sure that if we have that 45 minutes at night, that we spend it the right way and that we put our phones down and keep our heads up and that we just spend time talking um, and finding meaning. I mean, the world is providing so much opportunity to have meaningful conversations around social equality and politics and, and purpose. There are so many lessons we can learn about being present and where we are. And, and I'm far from perfect. And I have a, an incredible partner, my wife, Lisa, who I've been married for 25 years, who, who she gives it to me straight. I mean, the other day we were out to dinner and, you know, I've got a first place team in, in, in you know, the Eastern Conference and the Sixers. And there's a lot of pressure coming down the home stretch to see where we would shake out. would be first, second or third. And I was checking scores and she, she looked me dead in the eye and said, I'll wait. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, that's a powerful message. And she said, no, I'm serious. I'll wait. I was like, no, no, no. I was just checking. She's like, no, I know what you're doing. And if that's more important, let me know when you're done and we'll, we'll keep going. And I thought, man, what a great, what a great lesson. What a great message. I mean, one, it shows me still being on my journey, but the need to have someone around you that will give you real feedback. And, and you being smart enough and open enough and what we call palms up enough to actually listen and adjust your behavior. But we can be better and do better. What do you mean by palms up? It's just something, uh, language we use at work and at home. And, and, and if you literally take, if, you, if we were in video or we were in person, I would actually show you. But I, I have my hands, uh, my palms up and my arms out. The opposite of that would be my, me with my arms crossed. And I think your arms crossed give the message off of, I'm not listening. I know what I'm doing and you don't. And my palms up and open give the, the signal and the body language to say, like, I can listen. I want to learn. I'm interested in what you have to say. It sounds like one of the things that you're really saying is just not missing the moment, not letting the important things pass you by. Uh, and it reminds me of a quote that you have from Mayor Angelou. If you must look back, do so forgivingly. If you must look forward, do so prayerfully. However, the wisest thing you can do is to be present in the moment, gratefully. What are your thoughts about that? And just again, particularly, how does somebody who's going currently at 115 miles per hour uh, go about being in this moment, gratefully? Sure. First of all, Maya Angelou is a genius. And so anything she says, I, I love, listen to, and learn from. Secondly, I, you know, I have this notion that we have some work to do. And, and one of the things that I like to talk about is what I call WMI, or what's most important. And I have this incredible coach, executive coach named Brendan Bruchard. And he told me that high performers spend 65% of their time on the three things that matter most. And I don't know if it's 65 or 80 or 40, but it isn't 15%. And, and so I w went about for a few months doing an audit of my calendar. And this would be really interesting for everyone to do is you write down what's most important in your life. And you, you can have different aspects. You can say your health, your work, your family, your faith, whatever those aspects are in your life that are critically important, and write down three things that you think are most important. 
and then match up your calendar and do an audit at the end of the week and just drop each block in your calendar, drop in one of those little segments and have an other as well. And unfortunately, what you'll find, I think, or at least what I found was there is way too much in other. And so I, we need to be honest with ourselves. I either need to change what's most important or change the way I'm spending my time and energy. Because the first step is actually understanding what's critically important. And I find a lot of my colleagues and a lot of my friends and oftentimes myself spending time on what's quick, what's easy, what's expedient, and not what's critically important. So the first step in being wholly present, in my opinion, is to make sure that you understand what's critically important to you so you can put your energy there. And so then what's the next step in the process? What did you do next? You know, for, for me, I started to better prioritize how I'd schedule my meetings. My hardest thing is something that you've talked about quite a bit, and that's saying no. And so I got much more disciplined about saying no to things that aren't critically important. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. Tell me this. Um, why did you write the book? What's your, what's your why behind this? It's funny. I was at a... Um I was in LA meeting some music executives and was meeting with Barbara Streisand's longtime manager, Marty Ehrlichman. And he wanted to tell me the secret to life. And I immediately pulled my phone out the video, which he thought was really funny. He's an older guy has been her manager for 40 years. And he said, number one, I want to be so passionate about what I do that I put my feet on the ground in the morning and I run to work. And I kind of nodded my head thinking I can get, I can get comfortable with that. Like that's something that I can identify with. And I said, what's number two? And he said, at home, I run, or I run home with equal passion. And I said, I got that. But for me, it's slightly different. Although I love running to work and I love running home. But for me, my why is about 
developing the next great generation of leaders. And so I want to do that at work. I want to do that at home. And I want to do that with the youth I work with at church. And so that's what gets me up. This book is an opportunity to hopefully move people. You said it really interesting. You said, this is not what I expected. This wasn't a book that you, you would expect from somebody who runs sports teams for a living. And I've heard that a few times. I'm, I'm much more interested in how I can be and, and why I can be than what I do for a living. That's my why is, can I move someone? Can I help someone? Is there someone out there that can needs a message at the right time in the right way from the right person? You say that the why is to develop the next generation of leaders, which I think I understand what that means. Tell me, why does that matter so much to you? You know, I work in an environment um, that is notorious for poor management and poor leadership. That's the one. Number two, I'm the product of my environment. My, my parents were leadership and, and development trainers. So, I mean, I was collating books for them when I was, since I was seven years old and saw my mom up in front of a room of men um, for the first time when I was 13. So I think somewhat it's in my blood. And three, because I can. You know, I've been really blessed. I've, I've worked for some incredible, some of the world's best leaders in the world. Um, I have um, been able to test and try things at some of the biggest companies and brands in the sports and entertainment business. And I think people are yearning to be better and get better. It makes me feel good. It brings me utility. Uh, it makes me smile. It makes me feel like what I do and how I do it and how hard I work and the hours I put in is worth it when I can see someone lift up and the birdie flies out of the nest. What is something that's essential for you, really important for you, that you're currently under-investing in? Boy, you know, COVID has given me a, a lease on life. So if you had asked me that pre-COVID, I would have said uh, my health and well-being, for sure. Physical, mental, emotional, and maybe spiritual. And COVID has helped me lean into those. I have this notion that we have to do something for our mind, something for our body, something for our soul every day. And so I've fixed that and leaned into that. I'm not sure. I'm living a the, the life and priorities I want to live right now. So I, I don't have anything screaming at me. Like if you would have asked me a year ago, we could talk for 25 minutes on that topic. Mm. What concretely did you do that has helped you go from feeling like that was a, a chink in the armor to feeling like, yeah, I'm not perfect at it, but I feel good about where I'm at. Well, I hopped off that crazy treadmill we're on. You know, I, I work 150 nights a year. I was getting picked up at 7 a.m. You know, after getting home at 11 o'clock, I was sprinting everywhere and white knuckling everywhere. And, and COVID kept me at home. And I decided that, well, Let's get a Peloton bike. I can't play bat, pick up basketball anymore. Let's get a Peloton bike. I get on a Peloton bike every morning. Hey, we have a pool. Okay, I'll swim after that. Um, I started eating better. I started like reading scriptures and praying more, more intently. I started to get my, myself in better stead and better shape. And then in terms of work, I, I found it. I know some people found it really hard to compartmentalize because we were all working from home. 
for me, I found it like that I could get a level deeper um, because I was very transactional before COVID. I I would get on, get off calls. I was just running, 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 sprinting, sprinting, sprinting. Now I got to see your cat or your dog or your kid. I saw mm. you in your bathrobe. I know what your living room looks like in your bedroom and your kitchen. And, you know, I thought that that was some incredibly rich connectedness. And, you know, we started doing these exercises with my directs in the mornings. And for a while, we were doing it for six months. We did them every day. And uh, each of the executives had to have an exercise prepared for that that morning. And so you think about a relatively new team that's together. And every morning, somebody's saying everything as simple as find me a, a, a picture from when you were 10 years old to here's an article, how might it impact your life to, hey, here's a, a podcast. I want you to listen to it, share it with your team and come back with three great insights. And we did that for six months every day. Oh, man, it was so powerful. Not only did we get to know each other and see each other and see pictures and everything from your favorite song to your favorite sports memory to kind of really in-depth, uh, deeper thoughts and topics. And we became, I don't know, I became richer, stronger, faster, more efficient, more sensitive, more connected. And that really had has an impact on me still to this day. You have really thrived personally in the pandemic months it, it's been you know that's what you're saying it's it's been a time of renewal of growth of going deeper of reflection of course it's not like that for everybody but i suppose the question that brings for me is do you want to go back to how things were before and assuming that you don't what's your plan for transitioning as the world opens back up? Yeah, I'm not going back to living the way I was before the pandemic. So I, um, I have, I've talked to a lot of my colleagues and friends running companies. I've heard a lot of the same messaging and messages in terms of better prioritizing who they are, why they do what they do, how they're going to do what they do, and whether they're going to do what they do. And I, I love those conversations and I love the thought of that. And the way I talk about it with my team now is how are we going to create the new normal? And I think we all have that opportunity. Uh, we're coming back online. Our offices are beginning to open up in the next few months. And we have this chance to say, here are the new norms. Here is how we're going to be. Here is how we're going to interact. What does life look like now and why? Um, and I love, I love that. I love renewal. I love um, change and transition. I don't do very well as a status quo manager. I like change in action. And, and I think this provides an opportunity to, to get into some change in action. But man, am I grateful for the lessons I learned and even more grateful for the opportunity to come out of the pandemic and try to reshape and reset some of the things we were doing and how we were doing them. Uh, because I don't, I don't, I don't think many of them were sustainable. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, this, is a, this is a challenge I'm excited about tackling. I was just talking with Kim Scott, uh, the author of Radical Candor. Uh, and as we, were, as we were just chatting together, uh, we, we started talking. She shared with me the idea. She says, I love a two by two, which she does. 
And she said, here's a two by two that's worth reflecting on right now. I thought this had such relevance. She said, on one axis, it says love and hate. And on the other axis, you have before the pandemic, during the pandemic. Oh, I love that. And it, it, to me, it captures exactly the exercise we need to go through right now. Because there's a lot of people I'm speaking with who feel in a state of anxiety right now. Because, of course, they don't want the pandemic to continue. But nor do they want to go back to how things were before. And yet there's a rush as things open up, at least within the United States, as things are easing, as they're opening up. There's this rush to from some people and from some leaders, let's just go back. Okay, we've got to open the offices. Everyone comes back. Let's And people go, well, yeah, I don't want what I've had, but I don't want to go back to what it was before. And so it's an anxious experience to just suddenly be back. It's like we need a transition period. And I think that the next pandemic in the world is going to be one of mental health. And so as, as leaders and managers, we need to, to not dismiss the feelings because they're real. We need to not dismiss anxiety because it is real. And we need to provide tools and a model to make sure that these incredible people um, that are out and struggling have an opportunity to find themselves and find peace and be happy and be challenged at work and held accountable at work. Uh, but it, it is, it is absolutely real. Like the, the anxiety about coming back is real and the momentum to just quote unquote, let's just get back and open them up is, is, uh, I think short sighted, but definitely happening. What's something that you have loved and hated during the pandemic? I love family dinners. I hadn't really been to family dinners in 25 years mm. of work. Wow. And I'd read about them. They seemed lovely. <laughs> but, um, and, and, you know, my daughters, they're, they're creative and cute. And we had like color parties where you come dressed in a different color, stuffed animal parties, wear your favorite jersey party, dress up party, Grammy party, Oscar party. I mean, we had so many, like we, we just had different themes. They were really cute. Um, and, uh, and so that was, it was fun. And just, you know, being in the kitchen and cooking dinner with my daughters and my wife was just an awesome time. Talk about connectedness and no phones and real conversations. And it was, boy, that's great. What did I hate? I hated the isolation. I, I'm a classic extrovert, so which means I get energy from people. And so the only people I saw were my, uh, my four ladies. And I you know, would go into a store with a mask on, get out as soon as possible. Um, I barely made eye contact for people with people. And for me, I missed games. I was in the, or in the NBA, they held games in Orlando. They called it the bubble. And I went to my first game down there, I was at the bubble, and I was the only fan. So can you imagine going to a professional basketball game and being the only fan? It'll never happen again in my lifetime. Let's hope not. No, I hope not. You're, you're certainly right. But as I looked around, I, I couldn't help but kind of smile. You know, here is someone who is just craving people and activity. And even at an NBA game, I couldn't find that rush. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If somebody listening to this wants to do better, they want to do better in the midst of all of this noise, in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this transition, and they want to just, you know, like, like they just say, just tell me a very specific thing that I can do. One thing, I can do it right now. It's a tiny change, but it can make a big impact. What's that change? If you're willing to take 60 seconds a day, which I know sounds like a lot, and I'm just kidding. For 60 seconds a day, I would today, as I'm listening to this, I would pause this podcast and I would text my mother and I would say, mom, I just want to tell you how much I love you and appreciate you. I remember when I was 13 and I was having a hard time and you took me to watch a train. It to this day changes the way I see women, um, changes the way I manage and lead. And I just want to say thank you. You're amazing. And I hope to see you soon. I love you, Scott. So if you send some version of that to your mom and you get a note back that says something like, "Hun, are you okay? (laughs) You need to do a better job. Now, if you take that idea, that 60 seconds and one 60 second period a day, when someone pops in your head in the morning and somebody will pop in your head in the morning, you send them a text and it's just like, Hey, checking in, thinking about you, love you, appreciate you. If you need to chat today, give me a call. would love to connect. I miss you. I'm just checking in on you. How are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? I think we need more of that. So you want something simple? Open your eyes. Be a little more intuitive. Search and seek out goodness. Be a vehicle to say good, be good, and do good. Check in on each other. Connect. Be a human being. Like we need connectedness now. I love that. I love that. What haven't we covered? What do you want to say? What's one final thing you would like people to know, understand that we haven't covered? I would like them, in the words of uh, of our former general manager at the 76ers, Sam Hinkie, I want them to trust the process. I truly, you know, Sam used to say, if you want to go to the moon, don't grab a ladder which always used to make Mm. me chuckle. And he also used to say, there are no shortcuts to the top, only to the middle. And I think that applies to life just like it does in terms of building a basketball team. Uh, My last message would be, have your lens be a little longer than the 15 seconds in front of you. And you can accomplish really big things, but you have to have a vision and then you have to put the work in. It doesn't work any other way. You don't, you don't luck into big things. You don't luck into writing essentialism. You just don't luck into it. You do it. You sit down and you write and you commit to it and it takes time. And then you have to promote it. And that takes time. And your success, Greg, is not an accident. The success of this podcast is not an accident. And you have vision and you're smart, obviously brilliantly smart, but you do. Um, And I want more people to do. I want, I like big dreams. I like big thoughts. I I just want to see the work behind it and a plan to get there. 
And I think if you have that vision and you trust the process and do the work, that really good things will happen. And I'd love for you to just ask yourself, why not you? Uh, six is going all the way. We're a good team. We're coached by an extraordinary coach in Doc Rivers. Joel Embiid, if he doesn't win the MVP this league, I can't understand what games they're watching. Um, ben Simmons is one of my all-time favorite players to watch. He's a six foot ten point guard who's built like a Mack truck. We have shooters. We can guard. Tobias Harris is as good a third wheel as there was ever in this league. So I, I love this team, but man, oh man, there are 29 other teams fighting to the death to get there. Fortunately, they're down to 16 now. So I think we have a really good shot. Um, I've been in this business a long time, and I don't say that uh, willy-nilly. <laughs> um, I like this team and where we're heading. It's a very interesting season. It's been such a strange season, and obviously you have literally had a – uh, a front side view even when nobody else did uh, some of the games in the bubble and uh it's felt strange even even as a as an observer even as just a you know some somebody uh, enjoying the game from the outside it feels like it's looser and could go almost in any direction with the teams we have left i couldn't agree more it, it is the most wide open race we've seen in years in this league and that's what makes this so exciting I mean, would i like to be a more clear-cut favorite yes i would be but being a number one seed is, is is pretty good. It's the first time for me, so I, I can't wait. I'd, I'd love to get you and the family out for a game if at all possible. I know it's a hike. This is a plan. We're gonna we're gonna figure out a way to make that happen. We should keep going here because now uh, other great things are happening. Scott O'Neill, what a pleasure to have you on the What's Essential podcast. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for your incredible work. You're making a huge difference in the world, and and I love your pursuit. Ladies and gentlemen, essentialists, one and all, we've come to that moment again, the end of the show. Thank you really sincerely for listening. It's been amazing to see what's happened already with this show. The show has become, in fact, the top 3% of podcasts globally within just the first five months of its launch. And that's because of you. You have made this special. And I want to end, as I always do, reminding you that if you don't do anything else, just ask what's essential and eliminate as much as possible everything else. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.